0: And it is 10 o'clock. Let's give a big p- applause to all of the veterans that have served and are serving to make America one of the greatest countries in the land. I am looking forward to today's call. We'd like to thank St. Landry Evangelical United Way. Their financial sponsorships make this call possible. We'd also like to thank United Healthcare Community Plan, and Ms. Deborah Jones, their support over the last four years have made our organization possible. So the way that we have this scheduled is we're going to go ahead and get started because time is of the essence, and we want to make sure that we're able to hear um, from all of our guest speakers. The way that this is going to work today is there are specific topics that I've already given to our guest speakers And they are going to present in the order of service from the person having the longest years of service to the person having the least amount of years of service. But before we get started, regardless to how long anybody's length of service is, we all owe them a debt of gratitude and a boatload of respect. There are only two people that put their life on the line for you. And that's Jesus Christ and our soldiers. So thank you to them. So we're going to go ahead and get started with our first guest speaker. I'm honored and privileged to introduce Mr. Herbert Green's hometown, Lafayette, Louisiana. Mr. Herbert Green is a high school graduate of Como High School who attended a South Louisiana Community College in Liberal Arts. Mr. Green decided to join the U.S. military, where he served for nine years and ended as the rank of quartermaster. He currently attends Gethsemane Church. He is married to the lovely Pamela Green. He is the owner of Pucci Percussions, but Mr. Green is also a very active activist, a very vocal activist in Lafayette, and that's how I met Mr. Green. I never actually met him. I just follow him and admire him on social media. And so Mr. Herbert Green is coming to us fresh from Facebook. The floor is yours, Mr. Green. Thank you so much for joining us today.
1: <laughs> well, good morning, everyone. Um you know, uh, to, this morning I want to speak to you about uh, mental health as it relates to our soldiers. Uh, you know, uh, there are many of us that are in the theater of war right now and are having to deal with issues um, as it relates to uh, to that. You know, and plus their worries about their their friends and family back home. You know, there's so much that uh, that our men and women in, in arms are that you know are having to deal with uh, that they have to put behind them and in a lot of cases uh, when they come out of those those uh, areas um, they really don't get the 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 type of uh, debriefing uh, that is needed to make them uh, functional uh, citizens you know as we see them you know a lot of our uh, our ex-military veterans or uh, uh homeless uh they uh they have uh a plethora of um mental health issues that uh in a lot of cases sometimes don't get addressed because of uh because of the stigma that that is associated with uh mental health so uh, uh a lot of them shy away from uh treatment that with um help them, uh, to become productive, uh, contributors to our society. I know myself, uh, in, uh, I, I served from 1986 until about 1980, 1993 uh, or four or something like that, uh, 1993. And, um, during that time, um, uh, was the, the, uh, the beginning of a uh, desert storm uh which was the initial uh conflict uh uh in the middle east that has uh graduated to what we have now with both iraq and uh, afghanistan that are um combat fronts for u.s soldiers and airmen and and uh and the like and marines uh and uh you know a lot of those guys are uh, are there, and they are seeing things and they are hearing things and they are having to do things that uh really impact their mental capacity uh in ways that uh that the average civilian could not imagine and uh because of that uh it uh it really gets to me uh to to see uh, them suffer, and a lot of times they suffer in silence. And, and if you're not an, uh, an ex-armsman or, or, or whatever, then you, you, know, you have no idea of what these men and women are having to uh, uh, suppress and, and keep hitting, hidden from uh, their families, their friends, their, their church community, um, and, and those people who who really love them. But uh, what really gets to me is the uh, the participation of uh, the United States government in uh, accessing these these men and women and giving them the help that uh, that they are so deserving of. Um, as I, you know I can relate because uh, during my time of service uh, there were some things that happened in my particular life that uh, my chain of command. Uh, told me that I, I could not express my hurt and my anxieties out relief because i could not lose my military bearing and because of that uh, i put those things inside of me and put them in the in the back of my mind and and i didn't deal with them but as i uh uh adjusted to civilian life uh, there were things that uh that i encountered that, uh, because I didn't deal with those issues in a, in an, in an effective way, it, uh, it, it has affected my, my life, you know, and, uh, you know, one of the things that, uh, some people do is that they, uh, they resort to, 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 to drugs and alcohol. Uh, they become abusive, uh, in their families. Uh, they, uh, they, uh, they be they they uh become introverted in that um uh you may see them on the side of the highway uh if you uh, ride down the managementment throughway, you may see some of them in the tree lines uh uh and that is that is because that is a place where they can be who they want to be they can be uh the head of their life uh you know and and it looks odd to us because uh, you know, most of us want to live in a home, and most of us want to uh, be on a job and, and whatnot. And uh, we don't, we, we don't get a, you know, we don't get the idea of what those guys are going through because they're dealing with their situation in the best way that they know how. The military teaches you to be a killer. It teaches you to be uh, uh, absent of the thought of how. Uh, some things might affect people on the other side, and uh, but then when you go out there and you point a weapon at someone and, and you know the destruction that it causes uh, and to suppress that, uh, it can be damaging to the mental psyche. So uh I advocate for, for those guys. I work in mental health. Uh, uh I just started a new job at Beacon Mental Health in, in Opelousas. And uh, you know, it uh it allows me to see myself, it allows me to, to do the things that are conducive uh to uh, getting the treat treatment and the and the counseling that I personally need uh in order for, for me to go out there and those of you who know me. Uh, you see me doing the things that I do uh, in the community, uh, with, be it with kids at Pooch Percussions or uh, be it uh, through my church uh, um, where I can help men and women uh, adjust to the adversities that they face. Uh, and I, 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 I'm thankful to to my Lord and Savior, you know, that I'm, I'm, I'm able to recognize those things that might trigger uh, some things in me and uh, allows me to, to, to immerse myself in, in those things that are positive, but also uh, it allows me to put my pride aside and it allows me to know that i 'm human and that uh, just like anyone else who may be in need of help, then I can reach out that, you know their, you know myself for the, you know for the help that that I need and uh, you know uh, without that, uh, you know who knows where I would be um, These guys and women uh, they they go out to protect the liberties that we all enjoy uh they go out and uh, they put themselves on the on on the line uh uh unto the point where they can make the the ultimate sacrifice and uh you know to come back uh, to you know and this goes you know this is not just you know now but this goes back to the Vietnam War it goes back to the Korean War and every conflict where uh, soldiers and, and marines and airmen and all of those people have uh sacrificed their time, uh they've set, you know, put their lives on the line for the good of this country, uh, and to you know, to come back and see that uh those liberties are 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 rationed out uh for a lack of better words, uh and and uh and limited to some people you know, who, you know, if you would see them in their capacity as soldiers and, and whatnot, uh, you would want them to be, you know, at the on the wall protecting you all the time. But we, you know, as a society, as a whole, we don't uh, show the appreciation for these soldiers in the way that uh, we need to. You know, Veterans Day is a good day to recognize them, but, you know, for 365 days, uh, a year, you know every day all day, these guys are on call they they uh they they are ready to do what they need to do uh to protect this country but uh in the end, this country doesn't do what it needs to do wholeheartedly to service them in ways that uh that really shows their uh, the, the appreciation that we as a nation have for these people who uh, are 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 ready to go in harm's way.
0: Thank you very much. Her, I'm sorry. Uh-huh.
1: Do you have something else to add? Uh, you know, I, I would just ask. Uh, that uh everyone on this call would, uh, would lift me up in prayer would lift my wife up in prayer uh because she has to deal with a lot uh, you know uh, with me uh and and uh you know it it's uh you know it's not uh, in a way where uh, I'm abusive or anything you know like that but you know she just has to you know she has to deal with my with my ego uh with my pride because as a soldier you know that's instilled in you uh, and uh, uh, she's a strong woman, you know. But like I said, she has to deal with a lot. So, uh, you know, I ask you, you know, to to keep us lifted, you know, keep me lifted, keep uh, all the soldiers and, and you know the men and women in arms that 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 you know. You know, keep them lifted up in prayer because uh, you know we we go on with our lives on a daily you know basis, and you know uh, not often you know do we think about these kids and you know that are that are two and three thousand miles away from home. And uh, I'm about to get emotional, you know, because you know a lot of them, you know, a, a lot of them are thinking about us. You know, they're, they're thinking about us and us. Uh, you know we have to spend time. You know we really have to spend time thinking about them. You know and keeping them and and their families. You know lifted. You know because you know at any given time that mom or that daddy or that sister or that brother could get that call or that that, that uh that uh that clergy officer could walk up to anybody's door and knock on the door and give them that news. So I just ask y'all to to keep me lifted and uh, I love my country I love the people of my country and I, I would do it again I, I would uh, I would give myself to service again because I believe in us I believe in the principles of of, uh, of the United States the Constitution and I, I did what I could you know to protect it and. Uh, I'll do it again. So thank you for, you know, listening to me. Thank you for, you know, giving me the time.
0: And thank you for such an honest and raw conversation that unless you have close family members in service who are dishonest, and at this place in their life, then people just don't know. And I know that there's some questions that we're gonna uh, we're gonna give the other presenters time because I I know that I have a question. Um, we're gonna give the other presenters time, and we're gonna give you a moment to just to to. That you shared a lot, and some of the things you said, I definitely want to come back and we. I definitely want to to, and I know others definitely want to uh, talk about that and, and ask some more questions about that thank you so much yeah. for that thank you we are got we are going to now move so um, I am going to well um, I'm gonna let her mr. green mute himself just out star six mr. green that will put you back on okay. me. and our second uh, presenter is miss Dion Simmons white uh, thank you for those who let me know that she was on the line um, but just was having a hard time getting herself getting unmuted. Sometimes the system is just a fickle system, but I do see her there now. I'm going to read her bio. Thank you, Ms. Dion, for joining us. Dion Simmons White served in the military for eight years during the Desert Storm era, serving many exciting tours. Some of the most memorable were in Seoul, Korea, Fort Utah, Virginia, and Fort Dix, in New Jersey. Thanks to, be, thanks to the assistance of the GI Bill, she was able to complete uh, her surgical technology and nursing school degree. After 20 years of nursing in areas from surgery to hospice care, she is currently working part time as an agency night nurse while interning full time at Ford and Joseph Funeral Home pursuing her funeral home director's licensure. She is an active member of many organizations, including the Opelousas Rotary Club. She is a member of Progressive Baptist Church of Lafayette. She is the proud mother of two grown sons, Deontre and Dilo, and Mimi to one and only Grand Princess Aubrey Iselle. Today, Dion is going to talk about when people say that when Colin Kaepernick kneeled for the anthem, a lot of people who were not military said that that was an insult to people who served. So Miss Dion, who dedicated eight years of her life to protect our liberties, is going to tell us her opinion on that and other matters. Miss Dion, the time is yours. You should be off of mute and able to join us. And if you're talking, I can't hear you. I did just see you. Let me see if I can go grab you. Give me one second. You were just sitting right here. Uh. Hold on, we can do this. I'm still looking. Some others have joined us. We're, we're well over 40 callers. So I'm digging in uh, my call bin. There we go. Dion? Dr. Shonda, can you hear me? Good morning. Good morning, yes, ma'am. We can. Thank you so much for joining us. The time is yours.
2: Good morning, everyone. Happy Veterans Day to everyone on here that are veterans. Again, my name is Dion. I am an eight-year veteran, and I'm just going to shortly, briefly address the topic of kneeling for the National Anthem. My first thought when the question was posed to me, And what came to mind was grade school when we stood at attention, faced the flag, said the pledge, and then continued to stand when the national anthem was played over the intercom. When I moved on to join the military, standing at attention for the pledge and the national anthem was understood. And honestly, kneeling for either never ever crossed my mind as an option. Um. One of my duty stations was in Seoul, Korea, and I can remember distinctly being there when Whitney Houston performed the national anthem. And we were all preparing to deploy for Desert Storm, Desert Shield, Operation Desert Storm, Desert Shield. We all stood at attention, tearful. And if we did, if you did see us on our knees, it was because we were so emotional because we were, like Mr. Green stated, We were hundreds of thousands of miles away from home. Some of us, our first duty stations at 19 and 20 years old, preparing to depart to another area. We had no idea what we were going to face. So kneeling wasn't an option and wasn't a thought. But we have to also keep in mind the freedoms of everyone. As Colin Kaepernick, he knelt not to show disrespect for the military, His kneeling was in regards to an issue, um, in regards to police brutality and the oppression of people of color. So we just have to remember we have to give everyone that option and that choice and that freedom to do what they feel and not take everything in a negative manner because as Colin Kaepernick and others have done, they've knelt for their own personal reasons, and we just have to allow them that freedom to do what they feel for whatever reason they feel. For me personally, I did not take it as an insult or anything negative when he did it. I gave him the respect that he should receive for kneeling for what he believed in at the time.
0: Because really what I what I what I'm hearing you say is is that what you, when, you, when you guys go into service in a desert storm in an act of war, what I heard you say, correct me if I'm wrong, is you're fighting for our options, our choices,
2: and our freedoms. Correct. That's right. We should, we should always address. We all have our opinions, and we should always respect each other's opinions on different, different issues. But we shouldn't always take the knee. I mean, we don't always say when somebody proposes to, when you uh, make a proposal, I'm gonna, I, want, I would like to marry you. Is it understood that they should be on the knee? Is it a respectable thing, or is it disrespectful if they don't take a knee to propose? You know, different people have different views, so we just have to respect each other's views on different topics and different things and don't take everything in a negative manner at all times.
0: I'm going to pose a question to you just because you didn't use the full bulk of your time and because you are the only female on an all-male panel, it was hard for me to even find a female veteran. So can you talk just a little bit about your service as a female? So I know that y'all are soldiers first, but when you were first born, you were a female. So can you talk <laughs> a little bit about, how, did you notice, did, did what? Did you feel a difference? Um, you said you were involved in, in Desert Storm. Did you see active you know were you and I don't want to say active duty because it's all active, but did you ever have to shoot anyone? Did you have to ever have to be on the battlefield <laughs> this talk and, and now you're seeing how green I am when it comes to this whole experience and not to say that if you didn't, you still didn't face adversity or did you face as adversity as being a female? and notice I didn't say a woman of color, I just said a female. Tell us a little bit about your service. And your and your sexual orientation, your service, and being female.
2: When I joined uh, the military in 1988, I joined on delayed entry, the delayed entry program. Uh, Sergeant William Duncan, who has passed on, he recruited me on delayed entry. Whereas we went in, went into drill. Uh, I went in as a reservist, went into drill, and participated until. We graduated from high school and went on to basic training in AIT. Once uh, I completed basic in AIT and came back to the reserve unit, um, I got a taste of that full-time Army, came back and told my command sergeant major um, I wanted to go full-time Army. She told me at that time I was too girly and I would never survive full-time Army. So I took it as a challenge, joined and went on to basic training at Fort Dixie, Jersey, um, AIT at Fort, um, at in Indianapolis, Indiana. And like I said, my first duty station was in Seoul, Korea, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of miles away. Did I deal with any kind of um, partiality as a female? At times, did I deal with sexual harassment? All the time. And I find that a lot in the military women have to deal with that because if you do this or say that or show favoritism or do little favors, you get promoted. So you had a lot of that going on in the military that people really don't talk about. And if you don't address it and take it to those higher-ups, it will not be addressed and and handled appropriately. So when you say um, female to male, uh, we could use female soldiers could use that situation to their advantage or it can be looked at as a disadvantage but we all it was always partiality so once i got back from um, my tour in korea i went back to that reserve unit 473rd in lafayette to prove to that sergeant major that the little girly girl that she didn't think would make it made it survived her first overseas tour and just wanted to come and salute her and thank her for that challenge
0: So, so I it took me a second to get off mute. So I met you, so I, I know that you are definitely that type of person. Don't tell Dion she can't do something because that's going to make Dion want to do it. So after, exactly. you first, after you did your first tour, you re-enlisted and did a second tour?
2: No, I went from reserve to active duty and completed okay. um, six, years, six years of active duty. Came back, to, uh, came back to the world and did some uh, duty stations at Fort Jackson, South Carolina, and Fort Eustis, Virginia, where I um, had my first child and decided to, instead of going to do my assignment in Bosnia, I decided to come home, use my GI Bill, go to surgical and nursing school while raising my son, Deontre. Let's, let's talk two, two seconds about the
0: GI Bill, because I found this very interesting. I think that you are young enough to not have experienced this. But I heard, um, watching the documentary, an older gentleman who said that he was not a, a African-American military, he was not able to use the GI Bill back probably, let's say with was the Vietnam War, because it was not intended for soldiers of color did you have any um, problems using your GI Bill to go back to school?
2: No, ma'am, I didn't have any problems. Actually, when I told, um, when I went to the counselors at the universities and community colleges, they, they told they asked if I was a um, veteran. Once I told them they were, I was a veteran, I had no problems. They gave me the paperwork, filled it out, and money started flowing in to assist me with my education. I had no problems at all.
0: Good. So I'm glad to know that that problem was rectified. Well, thank you very much, Mm -hmm. Dion. Um, I appreciate your candor. Uh, You know, sometimes it's not easy, especially I know as soldiers, because you guys are, from from my limited understanding, which is mostly documentaries and and then eavesdropping. Mm -hmm. I know that you guys are soldiers first and then other things. So thank you for just separating the two and just being honest, telling us what we see on the news, that that sexual harassment is a thing. And now we've heard of a casting couch, but you just told us that there's a casting cot that that some females are using what they have to gain advancement, um, just like they do in in all – in all industries. So thank you very much for sharing that. We are going to have questions for you because I wrote down a question, but we're going to move on to Mr. Uh, Greg David. So I'm going to ask you to star six and put yourself back on mute just in case, like me, outside it happens and we don't want to um, interrupt Greg or <laughs> have some revelations un- un- revealed. Thank you so much. And our last Presenter is, and again, Mr. Royal might get on the line. I saw that he had another event. We appreciate him. Mr. Royal is running for district court judge in last year. I think it's District 15. He's in a runoff with Amanda Martin. So make sure that you get out and vote in December. Our last presenter is, I love when I go and I download the bios and then I don't put them where they're supposed to be. Mr. Greg Davies is the fatherhood coordinator at the family tree. He was born in New Orleans, and I love this. He's a charity baby. He is the only child of his mom and his dad, and he joined a blended family of three brothers and three sisters. He graduated from the best HBCU on the planet, Southern University of Baton Rouge, he is proud of his experience working in coordination of services, program facilitation, and coalition building for over 25 years. His passion is to be in service to his community, family, and friends through civic and social organizations. He is a husband and a father of two daughters and three sons. So healthy families is something he lives every day and makes a priority in his own life. He is also a member of numerous local and regional coalitions in Acadiana. Greg loves to think of himself as an all around good guy, and he's a friend and his friends and family and Doctor Brooks would definitely agree. He is an excellent cook that I haven't been able to check out yet, and he loves putting on large feasts for. Everyone who attends, Mr. Gregg, has six years of military service in the U.S. Armed, uh, Air Force, and he ended his career as staff sergeant. And I've asked Gregg to talk about desecration of the flag. A lot of times people burn the flag, they they tear the flag, they wear the flag. I've seen it worn as a diaper, as a bra, as a as a head turban, and then I hear people who aren't military say that that is an insult to folks who serve. So I've asked Greg to talk about desecration of the flag and his opinion about his service and that Civil Disobedience Act. Mr. Greg, the time is yours. You are on mute. You will need to dial star six to unmute yourself. You will need okay,
3: to die. I heard the, the, I heard the tone. It said unmuted. Good. Well, good morning, all, and happy Veterans Day to um to all my fellow soldiers out there. Big salute. Um, I, and speaking of the flag and desecration, I guess I have to start with the historic, with me, you know, coming into the military. Um, it wasn't on my list of things to do. Uh, granted, high school they would show up and say, hey, it was a way of getting out of class, so I went to the event and went back to class. I ended up taking the ASVAB, helping another fellow soldier to um, get into the Army, and my scores were well enough, you know, where I could have went anywhere. And, again, the military was not on my list. Uh, I ended up at USL back in the day, and I took ROTC as a easy class. Again, the military was not on my list. And just so happened that I had a discussion with my commander. I was putting myself through college. And he told, I said, well, it was time for me to sign up because once I graduate, I'll become an officer. And I was like, well, what if I don't graduate? Because money was falling short. And he said, well, once you sign, then you're still signing up for the Air Force. You'll just have to go in as an enlisted. So I took a little forethought, and I went into the military, as an enlisted first and figured I'll come back to school. But, of course, I was on a one-year delayed enlistment because I wanted a specific job. And that's one of the things a lot of uh, folks who join the military don't understand, that you can actually select your job before you go in. You don't have to wait until you go to MEPS and let them give you what's available. So, I took that part and went in and found out that it takes an act of Congress, basically, to get into this other program that sends you back to school with full benefits. So I was stuck in the military. Not a problem. I knew what I was going in for. That's one other thing I mentioned. I knew I wanted to do it, you know, so I can go back to school. So while doing basic, we actually had, and speaking with Dion, it's like we actually had a sister flight that I did not know were females until it was almost time to graduate because they looked just like us. Like I said, that's I a smile. You guys can smile on that one. We all had the same gear on. They had nothing protruding from the, and you couldn't look at them. You only could glance. So I didn't realize that they were females until it was time to graduate. We're that's smirking. How,
0: you, can, you can't see us, so we're smirking here.
3: Okay, thank you. <laughs> But it was fun. You know, like I said, once I got through BASIC, you know, I'm a country guy, you know, small town, and the uniformity of everything was what I was following. And I had a little ROTC experience, so I knew how to march, and they started giving you benefits for that. You know, they wanted you to lead this and do this and do those things. So I actually started progressing in my rank through BASIC and going into tech school, Um. And just so you know that there are a lot of little things that the military frowns upon, and there are a lot of little things that they actually um, magnify. And one was I was in the bathroom. Somebody dropped paper on the floor right next to the garbage can, so I'm fussing to myself out loud that, man, the garbage can is right there. You know, all they had to do was pick it up and put it there. So I then pick it up, put it in the trash, and when I turn around to go wash my hands, there's a full bird kernel. Standing at the sink, washing his hand, and we're in a bathroom, so all my protocols went out the window. I didn't know whether to salute him, shake his hand, or run. I, I had no clue what to do. And he asked me for what they call a 341, which is basically tells you where you live, what flight you, um, where you live, who's your commander, and all that fun stuff. So he asked for it. I gave it, and I went back to class. Upon arriving back to my um, my building, they called me up. In front of everybody, brought me up on stage, and I was already a green rope, and they bypassed me from a yellow to a red rope, which is like a leader squadron just for picking up a piece of paper in the bathroom. So, uh, the, as always, the little things uh, that you pay attention to and details because you never know who's watching. Same now in real life. But again, the flag, it's still there, like everything is still flowing, everything is still going. You know, we're doing Reverly, you know, like say you're out there when Reverly. And as you get older and get into the military, at 4.59, everybody's running inside because they don't want to get caught standing outside so you can salute the flag. I'm talking about rain, sleet, or snow. California, it wasn't so bad. That was my first duty station. I didn't mind standing outside and saluting the flag. Wherever it may be on base, you have to face that direction and salute. But my first overseas duty assignment was in Germany. And in Germany, you get that snowy and rainy snow-type weather, so if you get caught outside, you're just going to be soaked for the whole duration of, um, of that revelry. So I'm like, okay. So I learned my lesson. I didn't leave my job until 5.05. Not running from the flag, but not wanting to get in, caught in traffic because everybody's trying to get off. Everything stops on base at that time. At 5 o'clock, nothing moves. So that was something I had to get accustomed to and recognizing. And, of course, when you start seeing that flag, in the country, it's okay, because you see it on every state building all over the place. In the military overseas, it's only on your base. So you start to miss it in a way, because that's that one thing that would solidify you as a military personnel. You had it on your uniform, and it was there when you first coming onto the bases, but in you know in those communities in Germany, you didn't see that. Any other uh, country I went to, you did not see that. So you felt a closeness to the flag that you didn't have with anything else. If nothing else, you had that flag. And if you run across somebody from Louisiana, that was your brother, that was your sister, because I don't care if they were in they were in Shreveport and you were born in Grand Isle, that was still your brother or your sister because you're from Louisiana. Or then it became the South. If you're from Arkansas, Louisiana, Texas, or Mississippi, oh, you're not far away. You're only three hours or four hours away because you're thousands of miles away that makes a big difference. So long as I, I was okay with seeing the flag when I was overseas, and I didn't get highly upset when other countries would burn the flag because that was their disagreement because I figured, hey, they had to buy it, so if they bought it, they, you know, we got the money for it. So I looked at it that way. But when I came home and I was there doing uh, the Gulf War, I joined service in 1988 and, um, and basically got out in 93 after my two-year reserve status. Um, coming back and you're seeing people that, you know, they, the flags are now being made and, you know, with other sayings on it or it's in different colors. And so I, you start to lose that detachment from it. But again, as a veteran or as a military personnel, you're overseas, you're in this thing, doing it, you're fighting for the rights of others to express themselves. So I didn't, I didn't have a problem with it. But I, the only problem I have with it, if you're burning it here in this country, because it's like you don't have to do that. You had the freedom to leave this country if that's if that's something that you feel that you disagree with that much. Let's just say it like that. If you disagree with it that much, you know it's not so hard to go get a uh, passport and go where you feel most comfortable for yourself. But, I, you know, like I said, i allow you to express yourself, you know, like I say, and you could – we can have that dialogue without the burning of a flag, the desecration of a flag. Even now, today, like I say, if my – I don't put my flag out at night unless there's a light on it. If I see someone who probably um, supports their flag and they have it out there, I'll help them and I'll teach them, you know, like I say, the proper wear of it, the proper um, – staffing of it the proper care of it because the only time you would burn a flag is when once it's ragged torn or worn then you have to burn it in a barrel not on the ground you put it in a container and you burn it so no you know basically it's not seen being burned by everyone else but you're giving it that honor and a lot of people don't realize that so um, but I, I enjoyed my time in service. Like I said, I was in the Air Force. Yes, i flown an F-16, meaning that I put my hand on the stick, and then they told me that was enough. So I was fine with it. Um, I visited a lot of different countries through that, so that opened me up to what I really missed from home. And like Dion was stating, and um, heard what he mentioned earlier is that, man, I call it the, um, the rat song that was go- that was on during the first Gulf War, where Fido, whatever his name, he was somewhere, and his parents were, like, on the other side of the world, but he was facing the moon, and he knew they were looking at the moon. That was an emotional thing. Lee Greenwood, Proud to be an American. Oh, man, that that was a song. You know, so it was things like that that kept us moving, even though, you know, we might have had a little fear here of the unknown. And moving along, you know, like I said, in uniform, in unison, you know, keep the stiff upper lip. You know, there's, like I said, no crying in baseball. You know, it's like, so you don't do that. You depend on your, your every soldier depends on their soldier. And you had to rely on them, so you have to make them strong so you could remain strong. And when you're not getting, back in our days, you didn't have Internet. You couldn't just email or FaceTime. You had to old-fashioned write a letter, or you're calling home, it's, probably midnight, one o'clock in the morning to catch them, you know, in the middle of the day. So you're sacrificing even to conversate with them because they couldn't call you, especially if you were in the barracks, you know, somebody would say, Hey, and you got to run down the hallway to go find out who it is. So we we had a lot of difficulties, but we relied on each other. And I think that was the greatest part of my service was, you know, making a lot of friends and enjoying the culture in which I was a part of. And, um, using that when I came back because that actually got me into the social service field. So um, to end with all is that, you know, I don't, it's not that you have to salute the flag or put your hand over your heart or anything like that. I mean, I'm okay with it. You know, like I said, that's protocol that, you know, but everybody's not made for that. But what I would ask is that for the flag itself, you know, like I said, if you see it on the ground, And someone's your, you know, like I say, if you know the neighbor or you know that person, ask them, is it okay if you can help them to lift it? You know, like I say, because that's what we have to do in the military. We have to lift ourselves. So if you can do that for us, and trust me, I love seeing a flag flying at night with the light on it or in the bright, beautiful days after fresh-cut grass. Man, that's an awesome look for me. And I refer back my time to you, Doc.
0: Thank you very much. Listen, you it's just how, you know, whether you believe in God or karma or some force, I, I believe in God. So it's just how God fixed it. That it seems that I randomly gave questions to the exact right people. Because I like what you said about you're fighting for rights of others to express yourself, but not when it comes to the flag. I, I, I love that. And I love that you didn't mince words when you talked about how you feel about the flag, especially here in America. I, I like that you said in other countries they can burn it, they bought it, okay, but not in America, not in America. Um How do you feel? I know that I've had opportunities to pass it. I'm not going to say that they're government buildings, but I know that I've passed official buildings, and I've seen the flag at night. I've seen the flag in the rain. How do you feel when you pass by a building and you see the flag getting rained on or it's it's out there at night and there is no light?
3: That's our beacon. That's, you know, that's the thing that we look forward to. So what I, I do... I've actually stopped and, and dropped a little note. If it's a if it's a federal building, I'll drop a note, you know, which they should know. You know, like so I can contact them in many different ways. You know, like say, hey, it's time for a new flag. Or don't you think um, we should, you know, put a light on it? Or you take it down at the end of the day. It's okay. When you leave, you, you, you fold. And don't just, I mean, there's been times where people have rolled it. But, of course, doing our revelry, you actually have to fold it, just like you've seen at funerals. So you actually, it's it's all expiring when you're connected to the military that way and you see them fold that flag crisp and bring it in, and then the next morning they bring it back out. It's kept safe. And and it's like a part of us. At least that's the way I felt. It was a part of us getting up in the morning and showing that we're going to be great. We're going to show the flowing. We're going to show the way it flaps in the wind and all those things. Yeah, we get rained on, we get wet, but that's during the day. But come 5 o'clock or end of your day, before dark, or dusk dark as we call it, bring her in. Bring it in.
0: Thank you very much. And that's what I will do. I am going to take up uh, the Staff Sergeant David message. And when I see a building, because lately I've seen it, and it's bothered me. It's bothered me, especially since now we're supposed to, everybody's so patriotic now, and what but what they're calling patriotism I don't think is really patriotism thank you very much uh, Greg for that uh, I always enjoy our conversations together because you don't mince words um, and and you and you say how you felt and that and that I appreciated it. and it was very interesting to hear how a service member feels because you guys are out there fighting for us, our rights to be able to act a fool, like some folks would say.
2: Mm-hmm. Thank
0: you so much for that, Greg. I believe that Mr. Royal Colbert is on the line, or he's trying to get on the line. Mr. Royal, if you're there, you'll need to dial star six because you are on mute. I'm, I'm mess- we're, we're messaging each other right now.
4: Okay, can you hear me? I sure can.
5: Okay,
4: I'm on the line.
0: Thank you very much. I'll give a brief introduction. Mr. Royal Colbert has 28 years of service, including four years in Army Reserve and two years in the Air Force Reserve. And he is currently running, and and he will correct me, he is currently running for district court judge in district number 15, if I'm not mistaken. That is correct. Thank you very much. I know that Mr. Royal has an extremely full schedule. I know that he was just over with Chef Brown at one of my favorite restaurants, the Brown Skillet, doing a meet and greet. So I appreciate him for taking the time out to come and join us on our call. We're well over 50 people, even though I know the silence can be misleading. We're well over 50 callers, and I see a lot of Lassiette numbers on the call. Thank you for joining us. Today, Royal is in a a special position, especially since he's running as judge and he's an attorney. He's going to talk about veterans and incarceration rates, which is kind of disturbing. Um, Mr. Royal, the floor
4: is yours. Okay. Um, Guys, what I basically want to let you all know is that I've been in ADA um, for the past eight and a half years. In my time as an ADA, what we've actually seen was, and I have four deployments myself, what, I, what we've seen is that people coming back from their tours of duty, a lot of veterans come back with mental health issues. While in the past couple of months, I'm saying months, they have something to, they have done things to address those issues. Louisiana, uh, for the most part, has fought the establishment of what we specialty courts for strictly for veterans uh, now because veterans tend to come back. They don't get the medical treatment they need or better yet the mental treatment they need. And we all know how the debrief some goals. I mean, when I came back from Afghanistan last time, it was, how do you feel? You're okay. You feel suicidal. You want to hurt yourself. You want to hurt somebody else. If you answer no to those questions, you go home and they never want to hear from you again. So, we have a high incarceration rate for veterans coinciding with that for some reason, uh, and this is not knocking any particular MOS. They sell you the dream, the recruiters, cause I was, they did it to me. They sell you the dream of joining the military and become 11 Mike Mike or 11 bang bang. For those of y'all who not on me, uh, an infantry soldier. While it looks good, it It feels good. Uh, It's exciting. At the end of the day, what use is that job skill when you come back to the civilian world? Not very much. I mean, you're not going to patrol a perimeter unless you get an unarmed security guard at some plant somewhere. So then they fall into helplessness and hopelessness. Um, And so, again, we have a high incarceration rate for veterans, and it's higher – than the average incarceration rate for the average person. Again, I don't know why that is, but I'll give you the stats for Louisiana. Louisiana has the largest National Guard Brigade per capita in the United States, meaning that, from my understanding, the stats are one out of every five males in, the United, in Louisiana has served in the military. That's a great number. I'm all in favor of it. Our National Guard right now is on rotation again. In fact, they're leaving on Monday to deploy overseas after having been deployed to Lake Charles lately for the hurricane. So they're not even coming home. It's home, grab your rug, pack your bag, shuffle on down to uh, a foreign country. So then those guys are going to come back. Their jobs will have replaced them. Even though they're supposed to hold their jobs for a year, their jobs will have replaced them. They will then not have employment. They may have lost just about everything they've had. And then what are they going to do? So they're stuck back in the workforce. Okay. Um, So then some of them are going to commit some type of crime. And those who have some type of PTSD, we all know it's frowned upon, especially if you want to get promoted to take care of your PTSD issues. So again, then what happens? Um, So we're trying uh, to establish some veterans courts here in, uh, at least I know here in Lafayette. Judge Edwards, uh, Jules, for those of y'all who don't know, is formerly Colonel Edwards. Um, He and I traveled down to uh, Delaware to the NADCP, National Association of Drug Court Professionals, last summer, and we took the training. The VA has funds available the VA has promised us $250,000 over the next per year for the next 5 years and we can get a quarter matching funds from the district the parish to match for the establishment of a veterans court what we what that means is or at least the, the pilot we've been working when a veteran comes through and he's represented by the IDO or not the first thing we do is if we identify that person as a veteran, we go ahead and we ask them for a copy of their DD 214. If your DD 214, whether it shows honorable or dishonorable or other than I don't care about your discharge. If it shows that you serve, because that's your proof of service, we then can give you a lateral transfer to, a, to the program, which will keep you from getting that felony. Because the, the trick bag is, if you receive a felony, you then lose your veteran's benefits. Y'all understand what I'm saying? Did you just say that
0: if you are convicted of a felony, you lose your veteran's benefits? Yes.
4: That's disturbing. So, I, I, right, So you got, we, we got to think about it. We serve, we, we write that check, we go overseas, we come back, now we have a mental issue or a drug dependency issue we don't have resources there's no place to get help we have our va benefits then we commit a crime and we lose our benefits it's kind of like we damned if we do damned if we
0: don't do you think that the government does enough to rehab service members after they've come out of the military
4: no not at all not not at all not not at all again um, I, I, I consider myself a special case because I was enlisted as, as an enlisted personnel first. You know, I was a, Jag, I was a, a tanker. I had a tank. Loved my tank. Um, later on when I commissioned as a JAG officer, it was a totally different track. I didn't need any job training rehabilitation when I came home. I was a JAG officer. Uh, but my friends who were still enlisted, who were infantrymen who came home, there was nothing offered to them. Unless they were lucky enough to get an AGR or a GSR slot, and there's only so many slots that are available, and those normally go to an NTO who has served for 25 years who don't want to move more than 10 miles from base.
0: So they they don't receive the rehabilitation services they need. Their jobs aren't Ooh. held for them, even though legally. They're supposed to be held for them. But then if they have some type of dependency, drugs, alcohol, or some type of mental di- uh, health issues, and in the commission of all of this, they commit a felony, then they lose their benefit.
1: Yes, ma'am. And that's
0: their livelihood. That's their livelihood. That is something that definitely needs to be addressed. Um, thank you so much, Royal, for, for talking about Something that's just—I I, I, look—I'm speechless because I had no idea. I know that I've, I've run into and I've encountered folks who have served and who are changed. Uh, in 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 my own extended family, I have service members who are not the same as they went in. And like Herb just told us, it is it is an adjustment because basically, and these are Herb's words. Basically, you guys are trained. To y'all are trained killers, and then one day somebody says, "Thank you. We don't need you to kill anymore. We need you to untrain yourself." Basically, if they're not providing any of the, if they're not providing the necessary um, rehabilitation services, and by rehabilitation services, I just mean whatever that soldier needs to get back to some sense of normalcy.
1: Exactly. And then
0: to find out that they could lose their benefits. I I I have no words for that because that is, to me, one of the highest insults that somebody has given their whole life. I don't care whether you do four years or 20 years, you're not coming out the same way. Somebody's given their whole life, and then one hiccup, one incident. A felony is I stole something over $1,000. Pick up anything and it's $1,000. <laughs> yes. know, you still... If you steal an iPhone, iPhone. that's thousand dollars, and that's yes. a felony. That's a felony. Yes. I pretend to be Understand. a lawyer on Wednesday.
4: The solution is one: you've got to. We've got. To, everybody says write your congressman. I'm saying call your congressman, but go to start at your your local state representative, not the federal. Start at your local state representative because they have the, the power to override people losing their benefits. They don't like enacted unless you're certain you related to a certain person, but they have the right to make the phone call and do that, number one. Number two, that loss of your benefits is not permanent. Even if you, even if you have a, a, a dishonorable discharge, you have the right to appeal to the Military Board of Correction after, after five years to for an appeal, to get all of your benefits back, to correct that, even a, even a dishonorable discharge, to move it up to a general or what we call other than honorable discharge so you can get your benefits or some of your benefits back. But, again, most of us do not know. Mm-hmm. Three, let your goofy mayor know, because uh, he is a veteran, let your goofy mayor know that he needs to stop cutting the budget of the military um, ombudsman's office, office on Pinhas Drive. Let him know that, no, we need this service You have because you have a lot of ticking time bombs. Again, and look, I fight it, and I'm going to say this, I'm a, I am an assistant DA, a lawyer, but, y'all, I fight it every day. I can't, and it's, it's hard sometimes because, I mean, I'm in Afghanistan, and I got a tank. I literally press a button and 300 people are boots, and then I come home and people cut me off in traffic. That's a hard road to hold. The, the the amount of anger you feel at that and only other veterans understanding it. it's not many people Herb you were trying to say I
1: something agree. earlier Yeah I you know I I agree with everything that uh that Rel, uh was saying because you know like I alluded to you know earlier you know I personally you know um have had to deal with you know with some of those issues but because my father uh uh also uh, served in the US army and is a Korean War veteran uh you know and a you know a number of people who uh uh served in Vietnam and, and whatnot uh uh they had to come home and a, a lot of the things that that I that I spoke about um you know in war in the theater of war uh that's not a conversation that anybody uh wants to have you know so they they suppressed those things and uh, they come out in in uh in civilian life and they try to be as productive as they can be but as as royal just said, you know you know something as simple as being uh cut off in traffic can trigger things in in a person that that could make them go off uh you know when you are you know sometimes when you know the, these these people come back and you know as he also said uh after a year uh they they don't have that job. But they have little children. They have a wife that they have to, you know, support and whatnot. And and the powers that be are doing things that are not conducive to to to, to helping them to gain employment to be able to support their their families. Uh, or they may have had an infraction in the military that that allowed those people to uh, cut off those benefits. Well, that soldier knows how to soldier, and soldiering means that. Uh, they're gonna do whatever is necessary for them to survive, even if that means uh, going into Super One or one of those stores and just sitting down in the store and eating. And 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 uh, but and and that's sad, you know. That is something, you know. There's so many things that are out there that plays on the mental psyche, that that is avoidable. If if the people who have the the, the power to do uh, things to to cur to curtail those 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 things if they would just do it you know it it's just look at the service some people spent spent years uh, in in, uh, in 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 service and come back and they don't get to they don't get to participate in society in the way that they would uh, th- that they that they want to and 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 that's not fair that that, that is absolutely uh, unnecessary, and and it's a detriment, not just to the soldier, but to his community. Exactly. And and I feel a lot, this is Greg, and I
3: feel that a lot of that, because I know my out-processing was like, okay, turn in this gear, turn in this gear, do you want to keep that? Okay, check off, and you're gone. It was never, mm-hmm. okay, you know, when you leave, where are you going to go? You're like, is anything we can help you with? Everything was pushed to the VA. Well, when you get home, check with your local VA. Check with your local VA. The local VA didn't have anything in place for you. You had to Mm -hmm. start from scratch and and looking for your records,
1: for that matter. Amen. You know, I'm I'm in my – I've been out of the military for 28 years, and um, I'm, I'm a disabled veteran. Uh, but in in order to get these the 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 benefits uh, you know uh, the, the, that that I really need at this particular stage in my life I'm 57 years old uh, I'm I'm getting closer and closer to the age of retirement but that doesn't stop life that doesn't stop the increase of 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 uh, of rent and it, it doesn't stop the, the the flow of bills coming in and whatnot and and I work. You know, I, I work. You know, as much as I can. I, I own, I own my own business and whatnot. But in that business, I try. You know, I try to alleviate the cost for. You know, for some parents who have young boys who suffer just like soldiers. You know what I'm saying? Uh, you know, they they right. haven't been in the military and whatnot, but they you know they're out here in the world and they're they're combating things and they having to deal with things uh with 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 a, a, an unlearned mind you see the, the 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 soldier uh knows um how to adapt and overcome to adverse situations uh but these young people in you know that are out here in the streets they don't know how you know they don't know how to engage uh, an enemy and whatnot. They don't know how to 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 retreat when it's time to retreat or advance in a way that is beneficial to them and to their communities. So uh, we as soldiers, we 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 understand the ramifications. You know, in in a lot of cases, in many instances, that that uh, would put us in a place where we couldn't do. So we have to make do with what we have. And like I also said earlier, you know, if you, uh, in just about any community on the north side of Lafayette, Appaloosis, or, or anywhere, you might see someone who is homeless. And I, I would be willing to bet that at least eight out of the ten men that you would come across and ask them, um, have you served in the military? A lot of them are going to tell you, yeah. A lot of them are gonna tell you, Yeah, I served in the military, but you know, the services that I, I that I need is it's so hard for me to get to because the navigation system uh makes it to where uh uh it, it's so difficult that I'm gonna give up. You know, but luckily, you know, for me I you know, I, I have the support that I need and, and, and uh and and uh, uh I try to extend that, you know, not just to to, to to other soldiers, but then to my community as a whole, you know, so, you know, because hey, it's a war out here,
4: and and, and, and if
1: you haven't, you know, if you haven't been in in the military, you know, um, you're, you're in guerrilla warfare, and, and you know, and if if you don't know what you're doing, you know, you're gonna mm-hmm. either hurt somebody or somebody's gonna hurt you. Hurt you and, exactly.
0: And that's a great and that's a great place to to kind of transition. I want to thank. Uh, all of our veterans for joining us today. I want to thank them for their very candid, very honest, very real um, story. We are well over the hour mark, but we have not lost anyone. So we're going to go ahead. I want to thank you, um, and I do want to open the floor to questions. But first, before I do that, again, thank you to Royal Corbett. We appreciate you. May God bless you in all your endeavors. May he may He use you as a tool to fight Baby Trump over there in Lafayette, so that the north side of town and the disadvantaged <laughs> populations can stop the short change. That's not coming from the family strong. That's coming from Shonda. Don't call my boss. But thank <laughs> you, <to> Herbert <laughs> Green. Herbert Green got boots on the ground over there in Lafayette, making things happen. Uh, uh, many blessings to Poochie Percussions. May they see exponential growth. May the Lord lay hands on Herbert and heal him and lay hands on Pam to give her the strength till Herbert is healed. I'd like to thank Dion Simmons White, who is my, is one of these days will be my right-hand woman when she's not so busy. May God bless her in her endeavors to become a funeral home director. That is a special place, and she is definitely a great person for that because when you are in the funeral home, that is probably one of the hardest times in your life. And last but not least, the sunshine of the group, Mr. Greg Davies. you're never going to see this man without a smile. God has placed him in a great place over at the family tree, bringing together this fatherhood program to help the single fathers and, and the and the working fathers and the fathers to be able to step up to the plate and be the fathers that the community needs. We do have a question for you guys. Um, this one is particularly for uh Greg Greg I heard you say that you were all that you were all brothers in the in the in service Being African American I understand that this is how we respond as people but how did Caucasians react to this brotherhood how did any of how did any of you guys encounter racism so first to to Greg, to uh Greg
3: Yeah with me I have to admit, like I say, we were a mixed squad and basic. So, you know, we, we basically had to look out for each other. I was a shaving monitor, so I made sure everybody that before they went downstairs, I made sure they were shaved. So I got chewed out for that. So trust me, so I, I took that leadership role, but I was also more flexible. So they were my they were my best basic buddies. And then when I went to we call it tech school as AIT for the army I went there, I blended in, and some of my best buddies were of the Caucasian Persuasion. And then when I went to my first duty assignment, I met the first uh, like I say, the first guy from Louisiana. Like, he was from right there in Lake Charles. So that was like, oh, man, right down the street. So, And my first sergeant looked just like um, George Jefferson. So I had, and he was <laughs> one of those that pulled me to the side and gave me the all the a to z non protocol hey bro this is what's going to happen so he actually he was the one that first engaged me in that and he said there're going to be some times where folks are going to do you wrong and you know you should have been you know you looking at it said man everything should, it looks this way but they're going to flip it a different direction he said stand your ground you don't you know cuz in the military you can't voice your opinion in the way we could do now you had to go through your chain of command so if you didn't have anybody having your back in that chain, then you were left to the um, to the wolves. So as far as with me, with, with um, my brotherhood, the Air Force might have been a little different. I know the Army had it together because you guys were out there in the woods. Y'all actually were fellowshipping. You know, we actually got – the Air Force got to go home at the end of the day. So I don't know how different it was, but for me it was – it was a blessing that actually the guys that actually that I connected with or that came into my path, um, how you say, you get those lifelong buddies. Mm-hmm. I had those commanders. I had, you know, those retired colonels and all those folks in my corner that were giving me the ones and twos about the military. So I didn't, I never yeah. got bl- smoke blew up me.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, it was a little bit different for me. Uh Back in 1988, during my service, I was stationed at uh, Fort Knox, Kentucky. Uh, I suffered the loss of a son, uh, my only son, and uh, uh, it was during my my time of service. And uh, I was I was very distraught about that. And uh, uh, I, I was told by my chain of command, my my immediate chain of command, that uh, I couldn't show out with grief. Um, you know it was only you know maybe one or two weeks uh, that uh, I might have had to grieve and spend time with my my wife at the time and and uh, so I had to suppress those feelings but I I couldn't deal you know and and, you know I couldn't deal with the stress I couldn't deal with the thought of having to go do that so I smoked some weed and um, it it kind of it kind of, uh, alleviated the pain for a little while, but, uh, I, I was still, you know, um, um, distressed and, uh, but I had some, some Caucasian counterparts that, uh, that were doing things that were far worse than, than, than I was. And, uh, well, I came up on charges and, um, uh, uh I received uh, um an article fifteen and uh you know and after nine years of representing the, the military uh as a basketball player and ambassador traveled around the world uh and across the United States uh you know as, as a as a ball player. Um uh I was uh uh not allowed to, to re enlist. It was just after uh the uh, desert storm incident and uh I think President Clinton uh or uh the uh, yeah i think president clinton was uh they were cutting the forces uh in ha- uh you know in half they were you know drawing down uh troops uh out of the middle east at the time and and they were cutting the forces in the united states uh but uh during that uh as i said some of my my caucasian uh, counterparts uh you know who uh, we did have a brotherhood because and during that time i had a, a young white boy from uh, North Dakota, who had never really been around black people, he was the one who would check on me. But uh, when it came to the chain of command and, and uh, 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 brigade level uh, commanders, and uh, even, uh, yeah, brigade level commanders, uh, um, they were giving uh, uh, the white guys uh, passes and sending them to counseling and whatnot. But I, you know, I in turn got turned over to the streets and um, you know and it, it, it you know to this day after 28 years of separation uh, that still bothers me and uh, but fortunately i work in mental health and, and uh, uh, i'm able to be around physicians and, and, and counselors and, and whatnot. and you know i, 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 um, I, I belong to a a, 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 a church, uh, where, you a know, people a and uh you know so for me you know the prejudices are, are there and uh they 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 are very prevalent even even you know to this day where you know you have uh people who uh are, are are hurt you know because they they dedicate themselves and their lives to their military service but then when it's time for for them to get the services them uh that would allow them to to uh to come out and be productive they don't so that that's my take on it.
4: Um, I'll chime in. So, well, first of all, uh, Herb, I didn't know I, I went to basic at uh, Fort Knox so we could get together and talk about Agony and Misery Hill one day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Told you I had a tank. But the other part about that is, you know, my first day at basic, I'm fresh out of high school here. I'm sorry. I was When I went in, we did the split option. I went to basic training my junior year of high school. Uh, but I remember getting to Fort Knox and um, my drill sergeant at the time telling me, look to my right, look to my left, what do you see? And, of course, we all said a white boy, black boy. They said, no, you see green. Yes. That worked out pretty well during basic training because, again, we had to depend on each other. Um, fast forward to a couple of years later, we're downrange for Desert Storm, and, you know, there are no racial in- there, there aren't racial incidents, but you're seeing some racism. In other words, the African Americans and the Latinos, we were getting the more dangerous jobs. Uh, and you start seeing that, cause, again, we're 11 Bravos, we're dismounts, we're tank drivers. We all, the dismounts are, or the people running into machine gun fire are Latinos and African Americans. The tank drivers, with the exception of myself and a few others, are overwhelmingly Caucasian, and but the quickest way to get promoted is to be a driver, because that means you're a supervisor over that tank. You go from driver to gunner. Okay, fast forward ten years later, I'm fifty. Yeah, ten years later, I'm I'm in the office. I'm in OBC, officer basic course, and I literally I'm at uh, Fort Lee, Virginia, where the JAG school's basic training is for officers. And I show up, and there are 48 OBC candidates. I'm the only African American. I'm the only one who ends up, and I'm glad for it, with a room to myself. I'm the only one who did not come from an ivory league or or tier one law school. I went to Southern. Um, And so I end up doing all my assignments alone. Because the Caucasians and the Asians, surprisingly, don't want to mix with me, so I paired up with a Latino. So while the brotherhood is there for me on the surface, and when the bullets start flying, everybody's scared that we all are brothers. It's just like any other job. That brotherhood ended at 1,700. When task play, you're going home. I still talk to some of my uh, comrades from my deployment days of both white and black. Some of them have different experiences, but I'll say it again. You know, they teach us that race doesn't matter. Um, I can't say I found that to be true. I just can't. I have to admit that in the Army, some of them, the white guys, whether they deserve it or not, their NCOERs were better. Their OERs were better. Uh, They were always center-mass, whereas us African-Americans and Latinos, we had to try a little bit harder. We had to shine a little bit brighter. Like we had to basically go there and earn their respect and let them know we wouldn't take it. And it was very rare when I had an African-American or Latino commander, but I could pull all of my evaluations and see the difference. The ones from Caucasians were he meets the standards. The ones from other African Americans and Latinos where he exceeds the standard, works hard. The officers corps, and y'all need to be aware of this. The enlisted corps are overwhelmingly minority. It's like the world. The officers corps is overwhelmingly Caucasian. I don't see it changing. I just don't. You know, my dad was a Vietnam vet like hers, and my dad told me, I don't want you going to Army. He damn near cried and had a condition fit when I joined. He said, the Army is no place, and I quote, the Army is no place for a black man. I was fortunate. I had a great experience with it. I worked it, and I worked the system. But truth be told, if you're a, you're a minority, and I mean, and I'm using African Americans and all Latinos, and you join the military, just be aware, you got to shine a little brighter.
0: Thank you very much for that. And unfortunately, um, that's a a reality in the world of people of color. But what we have to do is put a smile on and find a way to overcome regardless while we wait, while we work to change these systemic problems. I want to thank all of the callers. For joining us today we are at 11:30, and this call normally goes till 11 but we go as long as the people are here and I want you to know that the people are still here but unfortunately I know that the people need to get to work I do want to open it up and just take a few questions from the floor but before I open it up I just want to end by again thanking all of basically our panelists on today's very honest conversation John F. Kennedy said, as we express our gratitude, we must never forget that the highest appreciation is not to utter words, but to live by them. And what all four of you said was to live by service. So thank you very much for your service, and I plan to honor your service by continuing to do the service that we've been doing. On that note, I'm going to open the floor. To uh, questions really keep them if you have questions or comments please keep them kind of brief and um, panelists please keep your responses kind of brief just so that we can make sure that we get everyone in okay um, but we could run the call till 12 to be honest with you but then unfortunately at 12 I must join another conference call uh, the, the <laughs> job the job that pays the bills all right folks. so yeah we are at 1130 Dion and um, Greg I see Greg is still there Dion is still there uh, do y'all have any last words, or, we, or do y'all have a second to take one more question? I can do questions. This is Deborah Jones with United Health. Oh, Network. hey, man. I, yes, I,
5: ma'am. I, want, I, don't have a, I don't have a question. Hey, hi, my friend. I, I I don't have a question. I just want to let you know this was the most, I don't know, it was the most productive and informative uh, veteran program I have ever experienced. Oh,
0: I never thought about it like that. It really was a great... Look, Miss Deborah, I'm here and I'm taking notes and I never thought about it. This is one of the best veterans programs i ever been to. I'm acting like we didn't do this, but I didn't do this. God did this. Yes. This was really great. I mean, I, I I respect
5: veterans and everything, but their testimonies and what they said just let me look at veterans in a new light and I just respect them even more. I just appreciate. Oh, definitely, the, definitely, what they have so, done. definitely. So. And, and being African American and how hard you have to work at everything. Mm-hmm. To, to you are the best, but you have to work harder at being better than your mm-hmm. best, and you still do it regardless. And then you still reaching back and helping people. I am just. Boo! Oh, elated! This was such a great program. Thank y'all so much. I really appreciate it.
3: Thank you, And I friend. really
5: thank you for your
3: service.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I see that I we have someone appreciate. else off mute. Yes, I did. I took myself off of mute. How y'all doing? Hi, Greg. Hello. How you doing, Kuzan? Hey, this Cousin. is Anita Johnson. And I just wanted to say thank you guys for um, keeping it real. Yeah, that was my question through Chandra because I couldn't um, – my phone was giving me difficulty. I want to thank you guys for keeping it real. And, um, Dr. Brooks, I believe that we need to continue um, this kind of conversation with our um, young men that are in high school and young ladies that are in high school that uh, may decide to go into the military
2: We need to keep it real with them and not just that balloon story of, oh, you can travel the world and you can make this money. No, Mm -hmm. they need to know as an African-American, this is what you're going to encounter.
0: This is what it is. This is real life, real facts. And if at the end of the day, they still decide to go out and serve, quote, quote, our country, then at least you have totally equipped them with the knowledge that they need. Because um, I, I will say they live in an oasis, a facade of, in real life, I have this prejudice. I have this to deal with. But in the military, surely it's not that way. And they need to know it is what it is and mm-hmm. that we are the element of change. We have to push that change. We don't need to stand by and sit by and think, oh, okay, well, we just have to accept what it is because it is. No, we are the element of change. And the young people this year, 2020, showed up, they are not going to sit down, sit back, and lay down and just let people roll over them, that they are going to be resilient just like our forefathers were to get us where we are today. This generation right here is going to take us even further, but we need to equip them with that knowledge. These are the things you may actually experience, and I'd rather tell it to you and you decide totally, can you handle this? Thank you guys so much. I look forward to next week's call with Christy Green. It will be another don't miss call. You definitely don't want to miss that. This one was very heartfelt. The next one is going to get us riled up and hopefully get us to at least send a text message, send an email. God forbid we actually put pen to paper. Let's do our letter writing campaign. We'll talk about that next week. I love all of you guys.